You're listening to the J.C. and Morgan podcast presented by BP Skinner Clothiers. Folks, if you want to make sure that you look your very best, don't settle for the department store down the street where you're getting something off the rack that is lesser quality and you're dealing with salespeople that sometimes, let's face it, can be a little bit pushy. Get a guy whose sole goal is to make sure you look your very best and he goes out of his way to do so. When I say out of his way, I mean he's coming to you no matter where you're listening to us on this podcast. Brent Skinner a BP Skinner Clothiers will come on out. You book an appointment on the website, bpskinnerclothiers.com. He'll have a consultation with you. He'll bring the samples of some of the most luxurious fabrics from the finest mills in Europe for you to look through as they begin to design your custom garment. After that, it's a few weeks and you are done. It's mailed to you at your door, and you're ready to go. You, like me and so many others that Brent has worked with, will notice the difference in how you look and how you feel, and the price is right. Again, go to the website, bpskinnerclothiers.com. Set up an appointment with Brent Skinner. He'll come to you no matter where you are in the country, and you will begin to look your very best. And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. It's the redux of J.C. and Morgan 2.0, the second of two installments each and every week during the college football season. Mike Morgan, ESPN, SEC Network, J.C. Sherbert, 24-7 Sports, TheBigSpur.com. And uh, we got lots to talk about again. You know, The first one we did, J.C., was heavy, heavy, heavy. On the Willie Taggart situation, it's it's somewhat historic just how things went there, and then a coach being fired before year two is up uh, at a major program. There's all kinds of things that are historic about that, and we'll get to the coaching search, some of the updated things as we record this on a Thursday afternoon. Uh, we will preview, of course, the game of games in LSU and Alabama, some of the other games on the national slate, the SEC slate. But we'll start with the news of the day or the week, and that is we finally have our playoff rankings. So we'll get to all of that and more here on your special preview installment, getting you ready for another big Saturday of college football. How are you, first of all? I'm great, Mike. Um, you know, having a, a pretty good week so far. And, um, you know, I've been kind of complaining and moaning, if you will, about the, the college football schedule this year. But, you know, I was taking some notes before we went on to record this, and Man, it, it's going to be a heck of a weekend. A lot of uh, we got the two major matchups, of course, with the unbeaten's. A historic weekend, if you will, with those, uh, as you mentioned um, earlier this week. And then there's some good games in the middle. You know, we talk about the middle a lot on this podcast, and the middle's pretty doggone entertaining this year in college football. And there's a lot of middle games, a lot of contests that could swing seasons either way. Some teams could get redemption. Uh, so teams could really solidify special years, resurgent years. I'm, I'm looking at you, Louisville. I'm looking at you, mm-hmm. Illinois and Lovey Smith. Uh, I'm looking at you, Justin Fuente and Virginia Tech. Um, you know, so there's a lot of intriguing. Uh, you could throw Jeremy Pruitt and Tennessee in there as well. Um, so there's just a lot of intrigue this weekend in college football. Uh, and by God, I'm looking forward to watching it. I'm going to be, you know, perched somewhere in front of multiple televisions all day Saturday. I'm definitely going to be perched for LSU, Alabama. Um, Sometimes my schedule has not allowed me to watch this game. I'm fortunate in that 3.30 window I'll be able to see it and looking forward to watching it. And it is um, is the first time in a while that I've actually felt that LSU has legitimate firepower to make this a game. You know, we hype this game up every year, and it is a great rivalry. But for so many times in, in the last decade, I've just looked at the matchup and said, I don't see LSU beating Alabama, and I certainly don't see LSU beating Alabama and Tuscaloosa. Uh, but they made a couple of radical changes, new OC, new offense, and you've got a, a, a quarterback in Joe Burrow that fits it to a T and is the leading candidate for the Heisman Trophy right now. So it, it's everything you want in a premier matchup. And I don't care if it's no longer one versus two in the actual playoff rankings, which again uh, came out this week. It, that doesn't, it, it's still in essence one versus two, but let's get into that. Cause, cause we're going to get an LSU Alabama later. 
basically, uh, this was you and I talked about it uh, a few days ago. This was painfully predictable, and I and I mentioned toward the end. I said the one wild card would be who, Penn State, Penn State, and the the committee is trying to. I think think outside do a couple of things. Number one, they always want to send the message, just like in basketball. If the schedule is not as good as somebody else, we want to adjust accordingly to that. And I have no problem with that. Um, Clemson, by no fault of its own, is playing in a league that is really, really down this year in the ACC. Not they didn't make this. They didn't formulate those teams in the league. That's just how it turned out. That's just the way it's going to be. But I still think uh, a 13-0 Clemson has no chance of not getting in the playoffs. So it doesn't matter if they're four, if they're five, or if they're two, or if they're six. It's just something to talk about on a made-for-TV event, which, again, this doesn't mean a whole lot. The number one team in the first poll has never won at all. I think the last few years the number two team has won at all, so that might serve LSU well. And Ohio State, of course, came from out of nowhere to win it. Years ago, I guess that was the first year of the playoff, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Bama in 2017 was the fourth seed. Bama in 2017, the number four seed. So, so there you have it. So it's Ohio State one, LSU two. You could argue who should be one, who should be two. It doesn't matter. I mean, don't waste your time arguing it unless you're just bored and you feel like arguing. And I know people like that. They just like to argue. Uh, Ohio State, LSU, Alabama three, Penn State four, Clemson five, those are the five unbeatens. Then you've got Georgia, Oregon, Utah, Oklahoma, and then the one two-loss team in the top ten is Florida with Auburn not far behind. So basically you have five SEC schools in the top 11. The undefeated teams that are not in that top ten, <coughs> excuse me, that still theoretically if they went out are in good shape. you got Baylor undefeated at 8-0, number 12, and you got Minnesota who's going to take on Penn State and, and could be served a piece of humble pie, or it could be P.J. Fleck for president. Uh, if, if they pull that off, Minnesota's 8-0, and they're ranked number 17. I don't really have any issues with much of anything, J.C. I mean, it's just, again, I, I, I thought Penn State could be the wild card, and other than that, it, it doesn't really matter whether you're one or two or two or three. And for that matter, if you're not in the top four, there's no need to hit the panic button. And I don't think Clemson is hitting the panic button. No, if anything, what this does is it, it motivates Clemson. You know, talking to some folks close to that program, it, it's hard when you've won 20, what, 24 straight games. Um, most of those games you have not been challenged even in the playoff last year. Uh, you know, the the last time Clemson, you know, Clemson's had some down-to-the-wire matchups. Uh, you think about A&M last year, Syracuse last year, and North Carolina this year. But it's hard. You know, it's hard to stay motivated. And I always use this um, this uh, comparison to basketball. Um, there's two comparisons, a football comparison, a basketball comparison. Uh, the Arkansas Razorbacks uh, won the whole thing under Nolan Richardson, 40 minutes of hell. I believe that was 93-94, and the next year they returned just about their whole team. Well, they kind of, you know, dilly-daddied around during the regular season. I think they ended up as a four seed. Uh, And, boy, they got the NCAA tournament and turned it on. Now they ran into Ed O'Bannon in UCLA in the final and lost. Tyus Edney. But that was a great basketball team. Yeah. Florida State in 2013 – uh, 2014, first year of the playoff, again, you know, they had Jameis Winston back. They weren't as impressive, had some close games, including a win over Clemson that, you know, if Deshaun Watson had been completely healthy in that game, I think it was 23-17, they struggled with Will Muschamp's last game at Florida. Um, you know, I think they drew Duke in the ACC title game, so that wasn't – or maybe one of the years they struggled with Georgia Tech. I don't remember correctly, but it was – I think it was Duke. Um, and then they promptly went to the playoff and lost 59 to 20. It wasn't Duke, actually. That was a Georgia Tech year. Um, and they lost 59 to 20. What's different about Clemson and those teams, though, is even though Clemson returned a lot of players, 
offensively. Defensively, that's kind of a new group, and they're playing at a really high level. Brent Venables has changed the defensive scheme to a 3-3-5 to take advantage of his personnel. It's actually a more fun defensive scheme to watch. Clemson's always been blitz-heavy, but they're really lining up and dictating the opposing offenses right now. And Dabo Sweeney, one of the best things he does is motivate them. You know, they're on top of college football right now, regardless of what the rankings say. They've won 24 in a row. They've won two out of the last three national championships. They won the last one over the mighty Crimson Tide by four touchdowns. They have probably the best individual player in college football in Trevor Lawrence, regardless of his stats. Now, you can debate that all day long, but that guy's really, really good. They have elite talent. Probably, I think I read an article. They said eight first-round draft choices, possibly, starting on that team. Um and, and, you know, it's tough because the ACC is down and, and it's hard to get up, you know, for NC State, who's bad this week on the road. You know, it's hard to get up for a Florida State team that obviously had lots of issues. Hard to get up for Louisville, you know, hard to get up for Wake Forest, no matter how good Wake is. And quite frankly, probably hard to get up for South Carolina um, just because, you know, you're that much better the minute you step on the field. Um, so what Dabo is going to do is he's going to look at this and say, look, guys, they have you at fifth. They, have, they don't even think you're going to be in the playoff, and which we know is ridiculous <laughs> because they're going to be, if they win all their games, they're going to be in the playoff because Ohio State and Penn State play. Okay, Bama and LSU play. And as we saw last year, the committee does reward undefeated teams. Look at Notre Dame. Notre Dame had a lot of name teams on their schedule. Their schedule was tricky. They had a lot of teams with names. Like, they had to play at Virginia Tech. They had to play Florida State at home. They had to go to Southern Cal. In in certain years, that's a tough, tough schedule. But last year it wasn't because all those teams were very mediocre to bad. They had one quality win over Michigan. They don't have to play a conference title game. They go undefeated. They get in. So the committee's shown – they've shown that if you go undefeated and win your conference – Chances are you're probably getting in. You know, the same goes with Baylor and Minnesota. If, if something happens and they all went out and they get in, they're probably going to put them in. Maybe even over a one-loss Bama or LSU, which, which do I think that's right? No. But I do believe that uh, Clemson doesn't have anything to worry about. What this does is, for all of you that are expecting the downfall of the Clemson Tigers because they hadn't played anybody, well, they didn't play anybody last year. You know? Um, and in case people haven't noticed – Injuries play such a big factor in college football these days, Mike. Teams get beat up when they go through these tough schedules. They lose key players. They don't have the depth to kind of compensate for it. Well, Clemson usually gets through injury-free. Look at Travis Etienne's carries. And, and, And I want you to watch something the next couple of weeks, folks. Watch how those carries gradually increase. When they get to Wake Forest and South Carolina and the ACC championship game, watch how it kind of goes up into the 20s. And then when you get to the playoffs, it's going to stay there. And you know what? He's got fresh legs because Dabo Sweeney's playing 85 to 90 guys on average a game because, you know, they're blowing people out. So people are staying fresh. They're avoiding injury. And while everybody else is playing 40, you know, and and so I, I think that, you know, again, Dabo Sweeney, has the the genius theory here. You're in the ACC. Yes, it's pretty easy. No, you're not challenged, but you're fresh and you're healthy and you're damn talented. And so when you get to the playoff, you know, even though there's a big month-long layoff, you're going to have a fresh football team that's ready to go play its best football and peak at the right time. And in the era we're in, that's important, peaking at the right time. You mentioned the seeds don't always match up. The one seed usually doesn't win. Well, that's because teams peak at the right time. Say Clemson, Ohio State a few years back, uh, Alabama in 2017 peaked at the right time. So I I think that's the thing there. I, I, I would be stunned if Clemson – and there's speculation out there. I would be stunned if Clemson goes 13-0 and wins the ACC and gets left out of the playoff. I'd be shocked as well. And, and again, it's not the BCS era. There, this is not a computer-run system. There are human beings in that room, and I don't know how anybody could leave an undefeated defending national champion. See, no computer algorithm would take that into account, right? I mean, there, there wouldn't be uh, the, there, there wouldn't be something set up for that. But but human beings know that, 
And I'm not saying because you're the defending champion that, you know, I always hear this argument from some somebody every year. They're the defending champion, even though they lost 20 of 22 returning starters. They're number one until somebody beats them. Like, that's ridiculous. That's insane. But, but Clemson returned a lot of an insane amount of talent. They still have it. And it's, it's not unlike the Florida State back in the 90s when they were such a power. Uh, it's almost like unintentional load management. Mm-hmm. Load management has become a very popular term now in professional sports, particularly in the NBA, where guys are just sitting out games uh, because they want to save themselves for the playoffs. And the regular season's painfully long; it's 82 games, and so what's why not? Why not do it? Well, you're not going to just sit uh, one of your key players in a college football game, but you could limit his workload. Mm-hmm. And on top of that. You just don't have the grind in the ACC. And I look, I, I always feel like I have to give a caveat when you and I talk about this. This is not a podcast where, like, we are homers for one league over the other. It's no secret. Both you and I have a background in the SEC. Uh, and, and I am very uh, familiar with that conference, have been for a while, and obviously do a lot of SEC games now for television. By that, by that same token, though, I'm not a cheerleader for one conference, and I certainly am not here to hate on another. When the ACC is good and they've had some good years, we're the first people to say it, mm-hmm. right? I mean, the first people. And, and I would love to see the ACC be more competitive. I, I look forward to the days where Florida State hires a legitimate coach that's ready for that kind of job and they become a power again, where Miami somehow gets their you-know-what together which hasn't happened in quite some time. Uh, and somebody steps up, whether it's a North Carolina, an NC State. Uh, this year, Wake Forest is a great story, but I'm not putting my stock on Wake Forest to become a national power. Uh, Louisville had it going on under a couple of different coaches, and now they're, they're trying to build back up. But, boy, did it go sour in a hurry. I'd love to see the ACC get to that point, but uh, for, for this year, they're, they're simply not. So, I mean, Clemson's got a, a, a very good path a very good path to making it uh, back to the playoff. I, I think their most challenging game left is actually at South Carolina in yeah. the finale. Yeah, and depending, I, I, yeah, depending on what Gamecock team shows up, but yeah, right, right. Is it the yeah. one that showed up against Georgia, for example? Yeah, that could be very challenging because I think South Carolina is better than a lot of the teams Clemson's played. But I also Correct. think they're better than Tennessee and Missouri and North Carolina. So <laughs> they lost those. Yeah. So, absolutely. yeah, I mean, and look, I'll say this. And, Mike, we've been doing this podcast since 2016. And I think we both were on record in 2016 when Clemson won it all. And when you had the SEC, you know, starting a bunch of true freshmen, transfers from Purdue, junior college guys at quarterback. And you look over the ACC, and you have Deshaun Watson, who was arguably the you know the he was the national championship winning quarterback and arguably the best in college football at the end. You had Lamar Jackson, who was the Heisman winner, and you had Mitch Trubisky, who was the number one pick in the draft. Uh, plus guys like DeAndre Francois, who was pretty good for FSU at the time. That's probably the last time they've had a quarterback. Um, Nathan Peterman at Pitt, who I think is in the NFL. Uh, got a cup of coffee up there. And then Notre Dame playing five ACC games with Deshaun Kaiser. So the quarterbacks in that league then, along with some of the coaches, were really, really good. I mean, they mm-hmm. 2016 was a banner year for that league. Uh, and it just – they haven't replaced those guys, you know. It's been um, – it's been kind of iffy, you know, since then. And, and I think, you know, no offense to like Ryan Finley or guys like that, but, you know, Clemson's had the quarterback. I mean, like even Georgia Tech running the triple option, I think that was, uh, I think they had a really good quarterback that year as well. So, you know, that's, that's the difference. And we talk about quarterbacks all the time here. And, and they're just, I mean, there's good quarterbacks in that league, but it's nothing like that banner year. So absolutely. We're not cheerleaders for one conference over the other. Um, and I think, you know, you mentioned Florida State in the 90s. If we would have had a playoff in the 90s, how many more national championships do you think FSU would have won? Oh, I've said that a number of times. If if we had a playoff in the 90s, Bobby Bowden and Steve Spurrier would have a lot more trophies in the case. Yes, no question. They, 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 they absolutely – first of all, Steve Spurrier, I mean, they – they went. Uh, they won the SEC six times in the nineties. Uh, so that's six times they would have automatically been in this playoff. The, the SEC champion was not going to be denied and will not be denied access to the playoff. You think C. Spurrier would have, would have won a couple of those fourteen playoffs? Yeah, <laughs> I, I have a feeling he would have. You think Bobby Bowden? 
you know, I mean, who lost on a chance twice to wide right field goals against Miami. Think he might have won a, a couple of more. Uh, my guess is he would have. So that absolutely, you know, there, there's a lot of things. If we went back in time and had a legitimate setup to determine a, a title in college football, boy, the history would have a. You'd have to rewrite it in in so many uh, in so many ways. I hear, I'll, I'll throw one question at you before we move on to the matchups itself in regards to the playoff. I want, this has always been my favorite question, and I don't know if I even have an answer for it, but if you were to pick one team, let's say outside the top 10, who would that actually has a, a legitimate chance of making the playoff, who would it be? I'm going to go with my man Matt Rule and the Baylor Bears. I know they struggled with West Virginia, but and their toughest teams are, are forthcoming in the Big 12. But if they run the table in that league – you know, they're going, and I like their chances, Mike, a little better than Minnesota. You know, Minnesota, I think is, they're going to have to play really well against Penn State. Now, that's a home game. It's the biggest home game in recent Gopher history, or Gopher, as they say up there, the Gophers. Um, I expect a big crowd in Minneapolis, and uh, P.J. Fleck is an excellent coach. I dug into his resume a little bit. Uh, just because there's jobs opening and things like that. Love his coordinators. They don't get a lot of credit um, for what they do, but they're set up on both sides of the ball. It's excellent. Good play callers. Good. They don't have as much talent as Penn State. I'll be honest with you right now. But they win that one. You still look at it and you're like, eh. You know, they got – I think they have Iowa and Wisconsin left after that. And to me, those games are toss-ups for them. Yeah. Um, and uh, But Baylor – you know, can Baylor in the bits the Big Twelve? So can Baylor get in a shootout and beat Oklahoma? And could they get in a shootout and beat TCU this weekend? I don't know. I, I, they may go down to the Horn Frogs this weekend, but if they don't, they have Texas and Oklahoma at home, and then they go to Kansas at the end of the year. So these next three games, if they win at TCU, if they beat Oklahoma at home, and they beat Texas at home, uh, I personally think that it's going to be. The Baylor Bears, I like them a little better than Minnesota. All right, I'm not going to strike that question from the record, but in retrospect, it was too easy. Uh, because because no two-loss team is going to make the playoff this year or probably anytime soon. And everybody outside the top ten either has two losses or is a group five team that has no chance or is Baylor in Minnesota. And we just talked about Minnesota, their rough stretch. Uh, and I agree, Baylor would be the best chance. And even I don't think that's going to happen either. I think I think Baylor could actually lose to, to TCU mm-hmm. uh, uh, this Saturday. So I, I'm, I'm so it's it's when I when I look at it now, it's not even a good. Let me give you a better question. Okay. Outside the top five: Ohio State, LSU, Alabama, Penn State, Clemson. If you had to put money on one team, who would it be? Hmm. To make the playoff, because basically we're looking at again, it's limited options: Georgia, Oregon, Utah, Oklahoma, Baylor, Minnesota. Well, President Clinton, President Clinton, and I want to talk a little Arkansas here in a little bit. But President Clinton, one time, you know, when he got in office, he was talking. He, he addressed the nation because they had to balance the budget. And I'm going to use this kind of an allegory here. And he goes through, he's like, I would love to invest in your future. I would love to spend programs on on all this and all that and and do all this that I promised during the campaign. And then he paused and he went, but I can't. (laughs) So I would love to say Oregon or Utah, but I can't. But I can't. (laughs) Um, So I, I would go with Georgia because, quite frankly, Georgia controls its own destiny. You know, you've got... They got Missouri, um, which, you know, Missouri's kind of fallen off a little bit. Uh, But Missouri's still a pretty decent football team. You have Texas A&M at home. You have Kentucky. No, they've beaten Kentucky already. You got Texas A&M at home. You got Georgia Tech, which is, a you know, Georgia Tech. Um, But then if you go 11-1 and and you get to Atlanta and play Bama or LSU and you beat them, are you going to really keep that team out of the playoff? Uh, as an no, SEC champion. So. Um, no. so so because Georgia controls its own destiny, and, and look, Kirby Smart's done this, okay, man. You know, last year they go to LSU, they get waxed by 20, and then they turn it around. Think about 2017. They go and get waxed by Auburn, but they turn it around. So while they have been good for one loss a year, 
Now, this year, obviously, it was to a mediocre South Carolina team compared to an SEC West contender. But, oh, and, oh, I forgot. They go to Auburn, too. So, you beat Auburn, Texas A&M, Georgia Tech, and win the SEC championship game plus a win against Missouri, and you're the Bulldogs? I think you got. I think you're in the playoff, and so totally agree. That's that's the team that I would think because they definitely control their own destiny. You know, Oklahoma. Yep. Uh, a lot would have to happen for Oklahoma. Or one loss, Oklahoma. One loss, Oregon. One loss, Utah. Like in that situation, in that scenario, Mike, you would need Clemson to lose, um, and probably need the loser of Bama. LSU to not win out. In other words, you're pulling for Auburn. If you're Oregon or Utah, especially Oregon, you're pulling for Auburn to get to get hot and be do what Auburn does <laughs> and win those mm-hmm. games against Georgia and Bama at the end of the year because that not only makes your strength of schedule much better, but it also knocks off some potential, you know, extra playoff contenders from the SEC. I uh I, I agree with everything you said, but I just don't know. I don't think Georgia's going to take that path. I think they're going to lose either Auburn uh, or in the SEC championship game. Yeah, and and I just I I, I think that both those games. I mean, Auburn's just a I don't want to call it a trap game because everybody knows how difficult that game's going to be. But it's it's a pitfall game, and if they're fortunate enough to win that, uh, and they're going to be in Atlanta regardless. But if they are in Atlanta. Uh, they're going to have to, and they still haven't lost another game. They're still going to have to play either Bama or LSU, and I just, I don't have a good feeling there. I, I, I right now, I don't have a good feeling there, and so I would, I would lean toward. I'm going to give the Big Twelve a little love. I'm going to lean toward Oklahoma. Everybody just has kind of forgotten about Oklahoma, and the K State loss is not a good one, but. I would say they have the best chance. Some things have to happen. They don't control their own destiny. But I, I, if we have a little bit of a crazy shakeup here in late November, then Oklahoma would be sitting there and have a chance to go 12-1. and one. Uh, Again, they do have a championship game now in the Big 12. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll go Oklahoma. And, and look, it, it, let's say Baylor beats Texas and beats TCU and beats Kansas at the end of the year lost to Oklahoma in Waco, and then they go to Dallas and Oklahoma beats them twice, that's two quality wins against an otherwise Correct. unbeaten Baylor team. You know, and, and I think that, you know, you can – you know, at Oklahoma, to their credit, you know, like we talk about pulling for other teams, you got to pull for Chip Kelly. Chip Kelly and the UCLA Bruins control their own destiny in the Pac-12 South. Now, they're four and five, but they're four and two in the league. So – they win that division, and they're one of the better. And, and you know, you've got you've got a quality what twenty nine point road win over a division champion in the non conference at that point. Plus, you beat Baylor twice, and you know, there's quality football teams in the Big Twelve. So, you know, Oklahoma State's coming up. You know, Bedlam. So, so you got a lot of of opportunity there for Oklahoma. I'm not. Um, you know, I, I think it's going to get really unfortunate, quite frankly, if we're sitting there debating Pac-12 champion Oregon and Big 12 champion Oklahoma, because I would still think that the Big 12 probably is a better league than the Pac-12, although it's probably not as competitive top to bottom. Um, but I think that the committee, you know, you look at it, well, we hadn't had a Pac-12 team in this long. Oklahoma goes every year and they lose in the semis. Don't think for a minute that kind of thinking won't come down when it comes down to like a a big-time tiebreaker like that where you really, you know, I don't know how you discern between a one-loss Big 12 champion Oklahoma and a one-loss Pac-12 champion Oregon uh, at that point. It's probably who has the worst loss. You could say, well, Kansas State's a worse loss than, than, uh, than Auburn, but Kansas State's still a pretty good football team. So we'll... You know, we'll see kind of how that goes. I, I don't disagree with you at all on that. I just – the path, as I visualize this, Mike, the path mm-hmm. for me is a little harder for the Sooners uh, maybe than for uh, Utah or Oregon. Uh, agree. And, I, look, I, I think at the end of the day it, it's a fun question to, to pose, but I don't, I don't see – I wouldn't predict either one of these things happening. It's just the it's it's the the best possible shakeup that we could that we could have. And I will say this, you know, I've been critical of the Big Twelve just having ten teams. I, I think they missed the boat when they had the chance to expand a couple of years ago and, and did a whole charade of, you know, a beauty contest where they they just weren't going to pick a, a two beauties to expand. Um, 
But if there's one advantage to just sitting there at 10 schools, which I think will forever uh, hurt the conference overall, it, it is that when you have the conference championship game, because it's a round-robin format, you, you are always going to have a resume-building opportunity in the championship game, whereas in the ACC – you know, Clemson is going to be a ridiculous favorite over whoever they play in that game. Some of the Big Ten championship games have been lopsided. Some of the Pac-12 championship games have been lopsided. The SEC is in pretty good standing as long as at least one power like Georgia in the East continues to be a power to, to take on the West. Uh, but the Big 12 will always have that advantage going for them. That That's the one advantage, and I can't think of many, of only having 10 schools in a Power Five conference that calls itself the Big 12. All right. Let's get to this week's slate. Look, one thing about this podcast, too, you folks see people analyze games, and it's a whole lot. Like I used to joke, JC, about, and this doesn't happen much anymore because the game has changed. I used to laugh when somebody would say, what are the keys to the game? And somebody go, well, the keys to the game, as I see it, is whoever runs and stops the run is going to win the game. Like that, uh, brilliant analysis. I mean, how do you come up with that? That's a, that's whoever like a, wins, <laughs> whoever wins the turnover battle is going to win this football game. Well, that's okay. usually the case. Those are like the that's, ten commandments of college. Yeah, football. exactly. And and fire is hot. Uh, and water is wet, and we all thank you for that analysis. So I, I don't like to go too deep, knee deep in analysis here. Even when I hear former players do it, it it's just usually painfully obvious observations. Um, that all being said, <laughs> kind of burying our own uh, thoughts on this game before we even give them. As you look at this matchup. I, I did mention one thing right off the top. I mean, I think it's the, the, the most firepower LSU has had. I, like, I give them a legitimate, I don't care what Vegas says, a legitimate shot of winning this football game. And I'm not so sure they're not the better team. So that's what excites me. Uh, we could go through the, you know, the, the usual suspect of, of thoughts and, and um, factors, but what, what do you like? What are you looking for in this game? Well, I'm going to take you back to Haterville, Mike, um, to <laughs> 2011, okay? And, and I've got a lot of theories about that year. We still had the BCS. Um, this was like these were the top two teams in college football. LSU wins by a field goal 9-6 to six <laughs> at Tuscaloosa. <laughs> hate rain down on the sec oh it's too low scoring it's boring football blah 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 and then it wasn't much better the sugar bowl bama shuts lsu out 21 nothing <laughs> um and uh yeah a lot of defense that year right and mm-hmm. uh, a lot of hate from the national media who which you know the national college football media they're a bunch of you know neutral guys they don't they, they don't they're not passionate fans for the most part some of them are but some of them aren't and they like to be entertained just like we all do. And, look, bottom line, I love defense. I love a defensive slugfest. But it's more entertaining to watch teams score points, right? Sure. <laughs> it is. I mean, games that kind of go up, up and down the field, and Big 12-style football, you know. And, and that year you had a debate about Oklahoma State belonging. And, you know, Mike Gundy still talks to this day about how Oklahoma State would have beaten LSU. And, I, you know, I think Oklahoma State would have put up more points on LSU than Bama did. But I also think LSU, because Oklahoma State played no defense, would have about 35 at the half. Hmm. Uh, and, and that's the thing. When SEC teams, you know, look at Georgia-Oklahoma a couple of years ago. It was 54-48. When SEC teams get into these games against teams that play no defense, they can go up and down the field just like anybody else. And so mm-hmm. – that, that was my problem with the hater year of 2011 where everybody just, you know, destroyed the style of play in the SEC because of these two teams. That will not happen this year. And, and these two teams could play twice yet again because of the playoff, okay? You line them up, you know, if LSU, Clemson, Bama, Ohio State, those are all evenly tight, even type games. And it could very easily be Bama and LSU right down on that field of the Mercedes-Benz Superdome in New Orleans, yet again, just like in 2011 for the national title. And I promise you, folks, there's going to be more points scored, okay? Both these teams are very good defensively, but they have evolved on offense. Nick Saban talked about it this week, about how LSU is running a completely different scheme. He talked about his own scheme. Uh, if you guys have ESPN Plus and you love the X's and O's, 
Go watch the the it's it's a Kobe Bryant sponsored feature on ESPN Plus where it's called details where you just have people like explaining stuff about ball, various types of sports. Nick Saban for 28 minutes talks about the RPO offense and breaks it down. Now Nick Saban's a defensive guy, but he and he speaks about it so intelligently and there's chalk and you know the telestrator and it's much better than John Madden back in the day. I mean hmm. it, it's good, but I watched that this week Mike and he kind of explained it and it just makes total sense like these offenses that they have, and give Joe Brady and Steve Insminger a lot of credit, and Ed Orr to run at LSU. They, these guys, LSU and Bama, consistently every year have some of the best perimeter playmakers in college football. Um, they have some of the best overall talent in college football. The design of these offenses in years like this, where they have skill talent and quarterback talent out the yin-yang, it, it's, it's tough to stop. Uh, because, it, you know, how do you stop it? You know, the defense... Uh, the offense is dic- the, the defense dictates to the offense basically in the RPO what they run, but it's like a game of keep away. And you've got all these guys, and, and Steve Sarkeesian's got it down to a science. And in, in, in LSU with Joe Brady and Joe Burrow, the two Joes, they've also got it down to a science. And so I I would be stunned if this game was nine to six or twenty one seventeen or. 29 nothing like it was last year or any of the other scores. No offense to their defenses, but it's a different year. So I think it's going to be a highly entertaining, high-scoring football game. I agree with you. LSU could win. I think Tua's health. Obviously, everybody in the country is talking about it. I would be shocked if he didn't play in the game. Can he be effective, though? And, and one thing about Tua from last year to this year, he's taken a step forward in terms of taking what the defense gives you. You know, and last year I think he tried to go for the big play – way too often and it hurt them especially against Clemson in certain situations so I uh, I expect a, a shootout a lot of points to be scored and a great game down to the wire you know in something in the 45-42 range and so people maybe people will start thinking SEC football is just as exciting as the mm. Big 12. 45-42 that would be something I, I, I do think it's going to be high scoring as well and for the reason being number one I don't think this is the best defense Alabama's had in the last few years I don't think it's the best defense LSU has had in the last few years although talent wise I mean you're going to see guys drafted all over the place in these two defenses you're also going to see seven wide receivers drafted in the first couple rounds four from Alabama three from LSU and when you talk about those collegiate offenses the RPO and the way they're running it a a really good defense still can't stop a lethal offense in college football right uh it's just and you have a lot of coaches come say they have to change the rules on rpos it's just not fair to the defense the way uh, they're able to it's almost like a trick play in a way in a way um and so the way it's set up now with with this kind of quarterback play these kind of receivers uh, offensive lines good, running games good enough. Yeah, I think it's going to be high scoring too. Uh, I really do, and uh, and and so much is going to ride on on Tua's health. It, it it really is. But the but that's where those quick RPO passes. He he doesn't need to take a lot of hits because mm-hmm. I don't know how how many times they go deep downfield. They just don't have to do it. They just don't have to do it. So uh, I'm just hoping for a great game. I, I really am. Can't wait to watch it. By the way, Alabama and the entire Nick Saban goes back to, what, 2007? Mm-hmm. You know they've lost four games at home Yeah, in that time. Yeah, and uh, a lot of them were in 2007. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, they lost and maybe yeah. maybe. Yeah, maybe I'm. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to screw up this stat. Maybe it doesn't count. Oh, seven. Maybe from oh eight on. Maybe in the last uh, ten, eleven years, but basically the, the the losses, and you can remember them. Cam Newton's Auburn team went in there, came from behind, and won. Mm-hmm. Uh, an LSU team, not surprisingly, came in there and won. Um, Johnny a, Manziel. It's Johnny Manziel, and nobody nobody forgets that. Johnny Manziel goes in there and wins. And, and the, the one wild card is Ole Miss. Right, the one wild card is Ole Miss. Not that Ole Miss didn't have talent, but I think we we look at it now. We're like, wow, Ole Miss went to Dustin one. Well, that game was a turnover fest by Bama, and Ole Miss had a very explosive offense that year. I think the final was forty eight forty three, but Bama actually got behind. I have I'd, I'd never seen anything like that. 
um, on that field where Ole Miss got up significantly. Bama kind of tried to come back. You know, of course, the A&M game was kind of similar, but, uh, you know, and then that Auburn game was a big comeback, and the LSU game was 9-6 to six in overtime. So, yeah, that, and that's since 07. 07, they lost to Louisiana Monroe at home. <laughs> so, no offense to Bama fans out there uh, for bringing yeah. that up. But, yeah, since, yeah. since since that first year, they have not lost often in Tuscaloosa. And it's uh, – and in, in fairness to LSU, they I think they did win in 07 in overtime. Uh, up there, Les Miles versus Nick Saban. But uh, LSU yeah. won the national championship that season. So, you know, that was that. There you have it. So that's the premier game. We we talked some about Minnesota-Penn State. I mean, look, no one is going to pick Minnesota to win this game. If they even keep it close, P.J. Fleck, who, by the way, just, you know, Minnesota, they're no dummies. Um, and I told you this, don't assume that because it's Minnesota – that if you're Florida State, you can just go in there and pluck them away, and you know Minnesota's going to go in the fetal position and say, "Well, you're a national power, and we're not, so we're not even going to, you know, compete financially." A lot of money in the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. A lot of money in the Big Ten. Minnesota's not just going to sit there and be like, "Oh, you're Florida State, we can't compete financially." No, I, the, the terms weren't disclosed. At least I haven't seen them, JC. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if enough people ponied up where they made him one of the wealthiest coaches in college football right now. Mm-hmm. Look at what uh, Purdue's paying for Jeff Brom, who yeah. could have gotten Tennessee and he uh, and a couple other ones, and could have gotten the job back at his alma mater at Louisville. So you know, mm-hmm. uh, Jeff Brom's a top ten coach in terms of salary. Yeah, people don't realize the Big Ten has money. Um, big time money. So big yeah. time money. So uh, anyway, I, as far as the game itself, I, I, I look for Penn State to win it. I, it doesn't take away anything. People are going to be like, oh, I told you Minnesota's a fraud. Minnesota's not a fraud. Minnesota's a great story, but they're going to be completely overmatched in some of the games left, including this one. So that's the other undefeated game. They're both about, you know, six, seven point uh, uh, point spreads on those. And those, by far and away, are the marquee games. Before we get to the SEC slate, any other games you have your eye on? We mentioned Oklahoma TCU. Yeah, the, the, TCU. Yeah, the 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 Malcolm. I call them the Malcolm in the middle games. There's nobody. There's probably somebody named Malcolm on one of these rosters. I would guess, but Malcolm yeah. in the middle. Uh, Iowa State at Oklahoma. Uh, the Sooners struggle mightily with Matt Campbell and the Cyclones. Uh, another team for the state of Iowa, Iowa at Wisconsin, pretty big game kind of behind Minnesota uh, in the Big Ten West because those two teams, I believe, still have to play Minnesota. So, um, you know, that's a, that's kind of an elimination game in that division. Kansas State at Texas, Tom Herman is 5-3. and three. Uh, If you're LSU, you want Texas to get up off the mat and win this one again Texas has struggled historically with K-State, you know. In the ACC, Wake at Virginia Tech. Wake Forest, great story this year. Virginia Tech, heartbreaker against Notre Dame. That game's in Blacksburg. I think Wake's a better team than the Hokies this year. Uh, But, you know, the Hokies, that would be a big win for Justin Fuente. And they're right in the thick of things in the Coastal. Louisville at Miami. (laughs) Will the U put two games, good games together back-to-back, or will Scott Satterfield get another big win? Uh, Illinois at Michigan State, better not lose, Mark D'Antonio. <laughs> better not. That's a better not lose. Uh, you know, of course, Clemson's playing NC State in prime time, which that, that game will be 40 to nothing at half. NC State's not very good. And then Southern Cal at Arizona State. Uh, I think the Clay Helton guillotine march uh, has commenced. And, uh, <laughs> commenced. Uh, I think it's, it's near the finish line. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's uh, so that remember Lane Kiffin got fired after losing at Arizona State, the big story where they left him on the tarmac out in Tempe. So that's those are my kind of middle <laughs> games uh, for right now. Uh, I like it. I like it. Uh, SEC wise, I think one of the more intriguing games is actually Tennessee Kentucky. You know, that, that's kind of a an underrated rivalry in multiple sports. That's in Knoxville and, and Lexington. That's about a, a three-hour drive, if that. And uh, those fan bases don't like one another. Obviously, historically, well, actually, depending on how far back, if you want to go back to Bear Bryant, maybe historically you'd say Kentucky. But for the most part, Tennessee has had the edge in the series. What, what Tennessee has, excuse me, what Kentucky has done Winning games with a wide receiver and Lynn Bowden at quarterback is nothing short of amazing to me. Uh, it's it's a story that's going to be 
unnoticed nationally. It's a story that's going to get some love uh, regionally in the SEC. But th- that is a tremendous story. <laughs> what they are doing, I mean, they're basically – it's like uh, running a high school offense and still finding ways to win games. And this is why Mark Stoops is being mentioned as a candidate for the Florida State job because he continues to to overachieve, in my estimation, at Kentucky. So I'll be looking forward to that game. And we already know what you know what it means to Tennessee – to to get to a bowl game to prove that they are making progress it's been a bumpy road for jeremy pruitt they had two really bad losses early but now they can get some positive vibes here to end the year yeah for some turnovers against a good uab team last week really solid win um you're right about kentucky eddie grand their offensive coordinator mike does as good a job as any coordinator in the country at at scheming and playing to his talent i mean you think about it you know, at Cincinnati, when he was the OC there, they were kind of chunking all over the field. You know, NASCAR offense is what they called it under Tommy Tuberville. Um, they really were five wide and throw it, and they can do that at Kentucky. Um, but then, you know, like last year, you got Terry Wilson, not a great thrower, and you got Benny Snell, so you're going to pound it. And then, you know, this year that things were going south in a hurry offensively. Um, and then you put Lynn Bowden in there, and Wow. <laughs> Here we go. And and so I credit Eddie Graham with that. I'll say this about this series, though. Tennessee owns Kentucky. Tennessee has been pretty in the in – the, well, we've talked about them being bad for a decade or more. And one thing they do is beat Kentucky. I mean, they beat Kentucky more than they beat Vandy. They beat Kentucky last year 24-7 to in Knoxville and then mm. proceeded to get blown out by, like – I think they gave up 90, 88 points against Vandy and Missouri and lost by 33 and 25 and didn't get to a bowl. But, you know, Tennessee has their number. And so this is a year, though, where school, you know, teams kind of are, you know, overcoming that a little bit. So uh, I'll be, I'll be in you know, Missouri and Tennessee had lost three straight to South Carolina. South Carolina had lost five straight to Kentucky, and those games kind of went in reverse. I think Vandy lost several in a row to Missouri, and that went in reverse. So, you know, we'll see kind of what happens. But that, that is a, an intriguing game, uh, 7.30 p.m. on the SEC Network. Someone's going to pick up their third conference win of the season, fifth overall, which would which obviously would pull both to within one win of a, uh, a bowl game, which the SEC is trying to fill all the slots for bowl games this year. That's become a problem really all over the place because you have so many bowl games and you still got to win six. Uh, we don't have to now, actually, <laughs> because they have to fill up spots. Technically, you can go five and seven and be a bowl team, mm. uh, as, as insane as that might be. Um, I don't think when the schedule came out, people thought this would be a very intriguing game, but how about Appalachian State at South Carolina at 7 p.m.? That's on ESPN2. Uh, it wasn't that long ago. App State was undefeated and nationally ranked. South Carolina's sitting there at four and five. You got no chance of going bowling if you lose this game, if you're the Gamecocks. So I would imagine uh, there'll be a lot of angst in the air at williams Bryce Stadium. Appalachian State sold its allotment of 5,000 tickets, which these days is a significant road crowd. First time they played the Gamecocks since 1988. Their marching band has to sit in the upper deck at williams Bryce because their fans are going to come in droves. You know, and South Carolina people realize this is a, this is not like a normal uh, group of five game. Uh, it's in the better not lose category for Will Muschamp, regardless. Um, App State took a tough loss last week to Georgia Southern. But, you know, just like I said about Missouri losing to Wyoming earlier this year, that's a triple option football team, and all bets are off. When that when stuff like that happens, so mm-hmm. you know App State, I think if they win this one, you'll have wins over North North Carolina and South Carolina because they won in Chapel Hill earlier this year, um, and that boosts that resume. If you want to get that higher ranking for the Group of Five, uh, you know Playoff Six Bowl slot, you know you have to win this one if you're App State. Mm-hmm. No doubt, no doubt. Uh, we're not going to spend a lot of time on 0-8 New Mexico State, one of three winless teams in college football, uh, taking on Ole Miss. Uh, Missouri, Georgia. Missouri, I, I don't know what to make of Mizzou, honestly. I, I just don't. The, the, Van, the Vanderbilt loss to me was more inexcusable than the Wyoming loss. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I mean, and, and then to go and get beaten by Kentucky, 
uh, a week later was just bad. You know, By a wide receiver. Yeah, and Kelly Bryant. You know, I, I think you know he's he's very up and down as a passer. Um, Georgia better not take these guys lightly though, because as we've seen this year, Missouri sometimes will will jump up off the mat and play great. Um, so it wouldn't totally shock me. You know, Georgia's what a sixteen and a half point favorite. If this game was like tennis or so, mm-hmm. you know, just because you know if Kelly Bryant is on and Roundtree gets free and. I'm assuming I think Roundtree is healthy and, and their defense plays well. You know, I, you could see them hanging in, but uh, you know, I don't know. Sanford Stadium is a different place at night, like a lot of stadiums. But lately, with the the new LED lighting and the things they do to get people mm. hyped and ready to roll, um, it's going to be cold down there. Football weather this weekend, so I don't know. You know, but I, it wouldn't surprise me to see Missouri hang for a little while. Last but not least, Arkansas is a one and a half point favorite against the Hilltoppers of Western Kentucky. Intri- intriguing storyline here with a quarterback named Ty Story, right. who's from, I think, Charleston, Arkansas. I think that's his hometown. He's from Arkansas. Signed with the Hogs. Chad Morris, who the optics get worse and worse and worse. C.J. O'Grady, one of their best players, just quits the team. Uh, there's internal strife about who should be starting. They went down by 30 at home and gave up half a hundred to Mississippi State at Donald W. Reynolds Razorback Stadium last week, which, you know, I think we've established Mississippi State's kind of taking a step back this year. You go down by 30 at home when you have a chance to get a win, man. You know, and, and their season was actually kind of on the line because you're two and six before that. And if you want to get to a bowl, you obviously have to win it and you roll over and lose by 30. Um, lots of problems uh, in Fayetteville right now. We put them on DEFCON 1 this week, and it's going to be salt in the wound. Like, maybe they fire Chad Morris on Monday if they lose this game because of the of the optics. You know, you got a quarterback you ran off. He goes to a, you know, a, a group of five school in Western Kentucky who's barely got a winning record. They come in and win, and you've got a loss to them and San Jose State on the docket this year. At home, um, with a quarterback you you didn't really want, uh, bad times. Um, there are very few situations where you pull the plug after two seasons, especially mm-hmm. when it's not a Florida State. You know, when it is a rebuilding job. But I think the optics there have gotten so bad. If they lose this one, Mike, it's not going to surprise me at all to see them uh, move on uh, from the Chad Morris era. That's unfortunate. Um, but, you know, when you're rebuilding, there is a minimum standard. You know, you don't get blown out by North Texas at home. You don't lose to San Jose State at home. Mm-hmm. You don't, don't roll over for the second-worst team in your division by 30. Uh, I think they lost by double digits to Ole Miss this year, too. So their chances of a win just kind of went out the window. I mean, I know they mm-hmm. played Kentucky and A&M close, but, um, you know, it's just tough times. And for my Arkansas friends, I, I sort of feel for you. I feel for them, too. It seems like forever ago they won an SEC game. This, of course, is an out-of-conference game, but it would be a, a loss that stings. And Western Kentucky is a more than capable program at a CUSA. Uh, that's going to be a scary game. By the way, did you see Brandon Allen, former Arkansas quarterback, picked up a win as a starter in the NFL on Sunday? Ha! Hey, he's good. Brandon Allen's I mean, a good player. You know? well, but that's the thing. Like They've had some guys that are talented – that have gone on to do some good things in the NFL, uh, but and, and this is this of course predates Chad Morris. This is not on his uh, resume, but I mean, if you're an Arkansas fan, I, I, again, I feel for you. I'm, I'm out there in the Ozarks quite a bit for work, calling games in all three sports, and, and it's a good fan base. You know, Arkansas is much like LSU. It's one of those unique places. With all due respect to Arkansas State and Central Arkansas, it, 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 that entire state revolves around the Razorbacks, and and so you own the state. In in essence, you own it. You don't have a major Power Five competitor like Auburn, Alabama, like South Carolina, Clemson, like Florida, Florida State, Miami, the like Mississippi State. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you don't have any of that at Arkansas. But it's just not progressing, and this is this is a, the second coach, complete polar opposites in every way, Chad Morris and Brett Bielema. Mm-hmm. And it didn't work with Brett, and it's not working with Chad. And, that's, I mean, if you fire him, you can bring in another guy, and what is he going to be like? I, I, I don't know. I, 
I don't know what you do. I have no answers for Arkansas. Woo, pig, suey, Razorback. Who's All that? Right, that's President Clinton. Oh, is it? <laughs> that's two two Clinton references today. I'm really good at that impression. I'm really. I'm, it's got a little Matthew McConaughey in it. If you if you did it, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's the the degree of variance is not huge, but I'm I'm with you. It I'm is with not. You. Yeah, you're right about that. All right. Speaking of coaching changes, we promise we'd address it. We'll, we'll close. I know we're over time. I'll, I'll just say this about the because there's not much major news on. Uh, Florida State in their coaching job. You know, you and I kind of scoffed at right away ambitious uh, TV reports are trying to link that it's a done deal. Bob Stoops is going. Well, no. uh, so much for that. I, I guess the, the day and age of um, having to make sure you're you're accurate when you make a statement like that. I don't know. Does that still exist in today's media? I don't know. I don't think so. Beware of <laughs> – all right, so you got to beware of television reporters that don't normally make break news. Like, there's okay. some that break news a lot, and you, you can yes. trust them. But got people – this came out of left field from, like, a radio talk show in Tampa, not known for breaking news, mm-hmm. and a TV station, I think, in Tallahassee, not known for breaking sports news. Yep. Um I've dug into it. Bob Stoops is a candidate for the job or a guy that they want to talk to and interview. Um, I think he'd make a lot of sense for them. If you can hire Bob Stoops, if you're Florida State, sure. I, think, I think you'd do it. Now, whether or not he's interested and wants to come, who knows? I mean, it, it's – Yeah, that's <laughs> – I mean, <laughs> that's it, it, the, yeah. It, it, it doesn't take a brain surgeon to, to speculate that – that Bob Stoops would be a great candidate. If you're sitting there and you're a TV guy or a newspaper guy or a radio guy to just go with that, because I saw another thing. I saw a respected national college football reporter uh, on Twitter say this just in Lane Kiffin has interest in the Florida state job. Of course. Well, no, does. no bleep. I mean, come on. It's, it's at FAU. <laughs> Am I supposed to be surprised that Lane Kiffin has an interest in leaving FAU for Florida state? Mm-hmm. This, I mean, come on people. I know sometimes it's frustrating to not have the answers and you got to fill space and you got to fill time. But nobody has the answers. I don't even know if Florida State has the answers. I mean, you know, I, I, you know, credit Bruce Feldman earlier today. He had a tweet with a little update, and he, in all caps, he put, it's extremely early. But the name I hear picking up steam is Mike Norvell from Memphis. And, you know, quite frankly, I think FSU could do a lot worse than Mike Norvell. Um, You know, I I think Mike, you know, and and again, back to the Arkansas stage, Mike Norvell is from Arkansas. And it would not job. it would not be a crazy scheme uh, change if you replace Chad Morris with him. So um, right. another bad bad deal for the Razorbacks. But you know Mike Norvell would be foolish to stay at Memphis and not go to FSU. I mean that he could win championships. I think oh, sure. at Florida State. You know just reading the t- of course I thought Scott Frost would win championships at Nebraska. Thought Jeff Brom would be doing better than he is at Purdue. And uh, I was not on the Willie Taggart bandwagon, uh, but a lot of those guys we kind of thought were going to be pretty good a few years back. Man, they're they're not. So yeah, I I, I don't think Scott Frost forgot how to coach. I think Nebraska is <laughs> that's a that's a much tougher job than it was in the '90s, folks. True. Um, I, I think that is a different climate. Um, that's all I'll say on that. Um, I did see an interesting article. This is from a gentleman. And I'll just lay this out for you as we, we close out. And basically, this is from uh, CBS Sports. And forgive me, my computer just slowed up, so I won't be able to give you the byline. But I'm sure he's a very good gentleman and a very fine uh, commentator or uh, reporter, what have you. But he, he breaks it down into categories. So the first one is, if you're a dreamer, <laughs> Bob Stoops, Urban Meyer. I like the way he puts that. Uh, and then he puts, if you're a realist, which many fans and boosters are not, if you're a realist, Mark Stoops, Mike Leach, who wanted that Tennessee job and who loves Key West, mm-hmm. uh, P.J. Fleck. Now, this might have been written before the extension. I don't know. Uh, Brent Venables, Tony Elliott. These are all the names you and I talked about on uh, Monday or Tuesday. Mike Norvell, Dave Clawson. Boy, that would not be a sexy hire. Uh, Luke Fickle. Again, not a sexy hire. And Lane Kiffin. Luke Fickle, not sexy, but a very good football coach. Agreed. Has gotten Cincinnati back to kind of wave. He's the next from the cradle of coaches up there. Um, 
I, you know, Norvell, I've, I think he could win championships at FSU. Brent Venables, I just don't think, would take the job. Tony Elliott, I, 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 I don't know that I would go in that direction if I were FSU. Um, I do think that Jeff Scott at Clemson, the co-offensive coordinator, you know, would be a guy that would be a, a fallback option because of his connections to that school. His dad was a longtime assistant under Bobby Bowden. He grew up there. Um, I think Jeff Scott's a future head coach, and that would certainly be a job that you would have to take if you were him. Um, I think he's probably going to be, if, if USF moves on from Charlie Strong, a strong candidate there, he and Tony Elliott both, as far as the Clemson mm-hmm. assistants go. Right. Um, but look, and, and if you're Brent Venables, you know, people wonder, I talk all the time, why hasn't he left? Why hasn't he taken a head coaching job? He could have had several, but I, I don't think people understand. The guy makes $1.7 million a year. He lives out there in Clemson. If you've ever been to Clemson, South Carolina, and you kind of like the lake and the, the country and the mountains, and you kind of like the laid back life, you know, Taking the fact that I'm a University of South Carolina guy out of it, you know, that's a beautiful part of the country. And it's dirt cheap to live there. He's making one point seven to two million, mm-hmm. uh, maybe more by now. And goes a long know, way at the SO Club. Yeah, his kids go to school there, Daniel High School. They're on the football team at Clemson. He's coaching his kids. He's winning. He doesn't have to put up with the headache of running his own program and some guys just you know bud foster at virginia tech never left you know and some guy and, and life is good in florida state yeah. for many many years under bobby bowden and when life is good like that some guys just don't they don't like it. but but i do think that if you do want to be a head coach in your brent venables and florida state comes calling you know unlike maybe texas tech or arkansas or some of the other jobs, Kansas State, that he's been kind of connected with, K-State's his alma mater, I think Florida State's an opportunity that you really have to think long and hard about just because it's a top ten job. It's right. a, probably a top five job. It's the path of least resistance. You just basically have to knock off one team in that division. Um, mm-hmm. It's one of the best brands in college football. You can recruit there with your eyes closed. So, uh, And I know it's a kind of a – people talk about it being a dysfunctional situation, but it, it's so good of a, good of a setup – and so good of a program historically, and you got such access to talent not only in Florida but across the southeast of the country. I mean, you can bring that thing back quickly if you know what you're doing. I'm not convinced Willie Taggart did. So, you know, I, I do think it's a, it's a situation that everybody has to consider, including Bob Stoops, um, when you're talking about uh, that particular job. They will be bowling next year. They will be uh, competing in year two and in year three, it would not surprise me with the right coach if Florida State is in the playoff hunt. I said it I, I, because, again, and you mentioned the toxic situation. I mean, Willie Taggart had no idea what to do with it, and it's obvious. Mm-hmm. And he talked about changing the – it takes more than two years to change the culture. It doesn't take more than two – it doesn't take one year to get some semblance of organization with your program. And he had none, and everybody saw it. And that's why it makes makes it unique. History – We'll need to give a greater explanation as to just how bad it was under Willie Taggart to totally understand how you fire a coach in year two mm-hmm. uh, at a premier program. But it, it, I can't see Florida State ever being or looking like that again because a, a, a quality head coach is not going to tolerate it, is going to clean it up, and it is going to have a semblance of an idea of, you know, what to do on offense, what to do on defense, and how to handle a roster and a staff, and it, it, yeah. it clearly you just you just had somebody who wasn't ready for all that. And, and look, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm with you if they make the right hire, but they may not, you know. And, and you look at Alabama after Bear Bryant, you know, they kind of went. And what Florida State is in right now, they're not in the abyss; they're in the wilderness. You know, they they had basically one coaching search in 55 years because Jimbo Fisher was not a coaching search. Jimbo Fisher was on staff and was the head coach in waiting and they simply promoted him. Um, mm-hmm. And they had one coaching search where Stan Hickson acted as a, as an army of one and interviewed one guy and went and got him with a losing overall record and things went south. So, you know, if you're a knoll, you're hopeful that this one's right. But, you know, what you want to avoid, I think, is is going into the, the, the wilderness like Bama did 
you know, they came back under Gene Stallings and then went right back to changing coaches over and over uh, before Saban came in. And programs get what I call caged animal syndrome. After a while, they just can't take it anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they go and they just – they're not going to be stopped. And if Florida State has caged animal syndrome right now, it's no wonder they're targeting Bob Stoops because that's a guy that you go, hey, it's Bob Stoops. You know, what more do you want? So um, we'll see kind of what happens. But, uh, you know, I, I'm with you. I agree. But I don't know that there's any guarantee that they are going to make the right hire. Um, right. You know, and, and it may be that FSU goes through the wilderness for a while, and that happens with programs. Doesn't mean you can't come back because – one of your terms, it is a volcano program. Mm-hmm. It is a volcano program, and another one of my programs, it, it does have the path of least resistance in the ACC because yeah. you got one program that's really going to be a challenge for you, one, and that's it in your conference. Mm-hmm. And when Florida State, they don't have to be like writing, you know, firing in all cylinders. If they're just, if they're just functional, at worst, they're number two in that league. So that that makes it a very attractive job amongst many many other things. Uh, so we, uh, the the AD I think was basically saying don't expect this thing to be done this week, but by the time you and I sign back on next week, it could be a done uh, done deal next Tuesday. We shall see. This was fun. We went a little bit long, but there's a lot to talk about, which is a good thing. So uh, we will do it again next week, and uh, hopefully you guys will uh, and gals. We'll enjoy a great Saturday of college football, and we'll see you back next week. For J.C., Mike, so long for now.